We're run by students, for students. Our goal is to teach people about how manufacturing works, and this works for regardless of where you're from. We've had English majors, we've had people who've done engineering all their life, we've had people who don't know where they fall. This is Swarfcast, the show that helps professionals in precision machining excel in their careers. I'm your host, Noah Graff. Our guests on the show today are Xander Wells and Anirut Powell from the Purdue University Bechtel Innovation Design Center. Bechtel is a makerspace where undergrad students of all different majors work together on creative manufacturing projects, incorporating a wide variety of processes such as machining, 3D printing, and electronics. Participating in the makerspace is all voluntary, and students primarily learn production skills from each other. Today's podcast is brought to you by Graf Pinkert. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graffpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. I am very honored to be with Anirut Paul and Xander Wells at IMTS 2022. Welcome to Swarfcast. Thank you. I met these guys when uh, I was walking the show, and they had this awesome rocket in their booth. Mm-hmm. And you'll have to log on to uh, the website to see it. They are from Purdue University. And uh, I'm going to give them the floor now. Uh, first, tell me just briefly your background, and then we'll, we'll break into this rocket and the origin of it. Sure. Uh, should I go first? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I started education at Purdue in 2015 in my bachelor's, came here to do computer science. The reason I picked Purdue was because there was a makerspace that was open to students. That's why I picked Purdue, didn't really pay much attention to the computer science department, which by the way is really nice. Um, Started working in the makerspace part-time while finishing my bachelor's. Went on to grad school in computer science as well, finished my master's and started working in the makerspace as a graduate student. Very good. After graduation, I was kind of attached to manufacturing and CNC manufacturing specifically. So yeah, now I'm working there as full-time staff operations manager of Bechtel Innovation Design Center. All right, very good. Before we go any further, and even before I get background on you, Xander, uh, what is the makerspace? Uh, The center? 
Uh, Bechtel Innovation Design Center is a building in Purdue that has a bunch of different labs. We have printing, prototyping, laser, CNC mill lab, lathe, uh, water jet, workshop, on and on. And it's open to all Purdue students to come to learn how to manufacture and realize their projects. So it could be personal, a gift. It could be uh, entrepreneurial, the first prototype that you're making to start your company. Could be research. Just uh, can't be weapons. Okay. Xander, uh, tell me uh, a little bit about your background. So yeah, I grew up in Chicago, and I've actually lived in China for five years when Whoa. I was a child. Um, and through that, I, you know, the Chinese education system was a lot focused on math and science, and so that got me interested in things. So you know, starting from there to woodworking and so on. And then when I was at college, I chose Purdue for its makerspace for Bechtel Innovation Design Center. Even though I'm an aerospace major, I still like manufacturing things. Um, I'm a sophomore, by the way. So. Very good, very good. So this makerspace had been something that was pretty publicized uh, when you were in high school, and that's how did you how did you know about it? Because this was something that brought you both to the school. For me, it wasn't publicized at all. So the way I was operating was where were you from again? So I grew up in Dubai, at okay. least a few years in Dubai, uh, from fifth grade till graduation of high school. So yeah, I'm looking at American universities, and all I really cared about is university name, makerspace, and whatever pops up is my evaluation of how much I like the university. So you had heard of Purdue in Dubai? Uh, my uh, academic advisor recommended the university. I wasn't very familiar with any universities in America. I wasn't really looking uh, too much. I wasn't still sure what I really wanted to do mm -hmm. in terms of college but my academic advisor recommended Purdue. Uh, and uh, when I typed in Purdue University Makerspace, a lab popped up called the Artisan Fabrication Lab, uh, which is actually the precursor of the Bechtel Center. And uh, I looked at their equipment, looked at their policy. They were open to all students, which was important to me because uh, I was in CS. Right, you were in computer science. So Xander, why don't you explain uh, what you were telling me earlier, there's a concept of this, of students training other students and students training other students of different, with different majors, etc. Yeah, so we're run by students, for students. Um, everything we do is all for students. We, our goal is to teach people about how manufacturing works, and this works for regardless of where you're from. We've had English majors, we've had people who've done engineering all their life, we've had people who don't know where they fall, and our goal is to pass on the knowledge of manufacturing down to whoever they are so that, you know, no matter what they do in the future, they'll at least have it in the back of their heads and that should improve their lives in one way or another. And is it all voluntary um, to that you have to do this, or are engineers told you have to go to the makerspace as part of their... Nope, it's all voluntary. So people come in with whatever projects they want because they want to make them, and our goal is to teach them how to make it. And then the kids teach the other kids, and as, as everybody knows, you know, the best way to learn something is reteaching it to somebody else. You guys don't bring in, like, industry experts into it, or do you? We do, we do. So one of the things that we really value is... Uh, 
We have a sponsorship with Canametal, but one of the things they do for us that's really useful is they come in every few times a semester offering training sessions about their tooling, like how do we actually use their tools as uh, they would be used in industry. And they do technical presentations followed by demonstrations. One of the things Canametal did once was uh, they ran their metal uh, application certification course in, uh, uh, in Purdue and they brought in their customers who wanted to get certified and they also brought in, let us bring in students who wanted to get certified and uh, we went there and basically got that certification, spent two or three days learning all about how cutting tools work. Very cool. Well, mainly the machines you guys run are Haas mills? Yeah, I can give you a rough breakdown. We've got one VF2, uh, two VF4s, uh, one DT1, uh, VF4s going out and a UMC 500SS. Is, DT1 is going out and a UMC 500SS is coming in. ST20 and ST20Y lathes, uh, flow water jet, nine by nine feet. Thing it's Mark 2C. SR100 gantry, uh, it's a more niche Haas, Haas machine. They don't have that anymore, but it's mostly used in woodworking. That's our subtractive side. There's also an additive side, but I don't know how long you want me to keep going. Well, I mean, that's it's really interesting. So the uh, students are proficient enough that they don't need people from Haas to come in to do demos, etc. You guys are very no independent yeah yeah and Uh, you can do the maintenance on the machines yourself too yeah i mean to an extent if the spindle were to break we're calling in Haas. sure but uh yeah uh, preventative maintenance we do ourselves minor repairs we do ourselves uh tramming in the machine we've got a ball bar and few people are trained on how to use the ball bar get the machine back in its spec or slightly better yeah that kind of maintenance students do that why did you guys want to do the makerspace just because it's fun just because it's something you're passionate about what what motivated you and what motivates some of the other people to do it from an organizational like from the organization's perspective or like from my personal perspective from your personal perspective um you want to share talk first? about that yeah, yeah. Tell, tell me why because it seems like you're obviously really into it you're at imts with the booth for it what got you into it in the first place um, I mean, simply put, I like making things, you know, it's one thing to make something, you're, it's one thing to design something in CAD, and then it's a completely new aspect to see it in real life, and as a college student, without the access to send something to a prototyping shop, this is the best way for me to do it, and then it's also really rewarding to see other people make parts as well, because if I'm facing that problem, I'm sure other people are as well, so to be able, it's almost philanthropic, it's, you know, just being able to... yeah help other people with problems I've struggled with before and just making things, um, you know, lots of, it's just the technology that we have is astounding and just be able to make these parts. Do you, do you feel like this is creating a lot more talented people to help the workforce, high, skilled people to go into work in shops, etc.? Oh, for sure. Uh, we've had people come in with designs that, you know, just quite simply don't work. And through our training, they've come out with a final product that's actually viable and manufactured. Oh, and they're going to like... manufactured it. Right. And right. start their own companies. Uh, honestly, yeah. We've had uh, one of our um, 
someone who's been involved with the center, he's starting his own space company, uh, and it's pretty interesting. He was actually at our booth uh, earlier today. Chris? Yeah, he's uh, did some stuff with the design side of things. So he, I've wor- he's worked with older uh, TAs on designing parts for uh, fabrication. And ultimately, you don't have to become a machinist if you're at Bechtel's. But what we do want is people, even like designers, who have that background, and then they're able to use that further. What got me into it was basically I like knowing how things work. And uh, the maker movement came later to uh, my part of the world. And it was really starting up when I was younger, like in high school. and To Dubai. In Dubai, yeah. And, uh, because yeah. Dubai, you know, when people talk about careers in the sort of middle class to upper middle class demographic, is it basically go into financial services or the oil business? Engineering, real estate, engineering from a sit at your desk and engineer, that kind of engineering. Okay. Uh, so yeah, making things is not something people really uh, see as a career. They see that more as uh, labor work. Uh, but there was a culture of uh, professionals getting into the maker movement. And I made a lot of friends at that time and really kind of attached myself to making things. Now that did transform into uh, now using like uh, 3D printers to like industrial equipment and teaching in university. Now for our students uh, who do use the center, uh, there are two groups that I'd like to draw attention to. There are the peer mentors who are student employees, like Xander over here. Okay. And then there are student members who come learn how to use and go on with their lives okay so for the peer mentors it almost always and gets them into an aerospace or automotive space where they're working specifically in manufacturing we have a lot of students who are in the aerospace industry now after graduation most of them centered on improving manufacturing or setting up manufacturing in different facilities then for the members most of them are engineers and they're walking away with an understanding of how manufacturing really works so their design is not constrained to the idealism that exists when you do coursework and it also draws like we've had students who've been in other fields and have been drawn towards manufacturing because they see that as an industry which is often you know behind doors and is not known to people generally so you do get english majors that are just like I like building things. They find out about it. How often does that make them want to go into this field? Or is it often just, this is just a cool thing I did in college to make me well-rounded? I had a fellow colleague. uh, She uh, was an English major and she finished her master's. And she was working at the center. And then she went straight into manufacturing engineering technology. Right. And like you, you were a computer science major. And now your occupation is supervising, teaching at this? Development as well. I would say still a lot of CS. I mean, it's computer numerical control. There's a big component of software, yeah. And that's also one of my main focuses that I really don't talk about much. But yeah, that's, that's really why I got the role. Okay. Xander, your ambition, obviously don't have to know this you're a sophomore in college and it's not fair for people to uh grill you on it and say what the heck do you want to do although some people do know and it sounds like you've got a lot of direction 
where do you see yourself going with the makerspace? Well, no matter what I do, it's always going to be there. Um, I don't want to go into a pure design job where I'm just at an office and never seeing the shop floor. I'm a bit tied on going directly into manufacturing because I feel like, you know, I do want to use aerospace, my aerospace degree and put it to use. But uh, right now I'm looking into additive development sides because that's a good combination of both design and manufacturing, especially with the challenges behind, you know, just this emerging technology. I and you work, guys have 3D printers. We do have 3D printers. Um, yeah, they're, we, don't, we stay away from some of like the more basic 3D printing and we do lots of engineering prints and stuff. Interesting. We just got a new um, Formlabs Fuse One, I believe. Fuse One Form Three B Plus. Yeah, and then so that's that's um, your nylon SLS printing, which is, you know, we're looking forward to use that. Um, I was at Pratt and Whitney over the summer and is doing manufacturing engineering, and that gave me a nice exposure to the industry as well. So, it's a bit hard to decide exactly when I do what I do, but I know it will be something relating to both design and manufacturing. Would you wanna? go to like and we saw blue origin they were they came over and were talking to you at the show would you want to go somewhere like that or spacex or is that a dream job for you i think that would be really nice um i think the space just space exploration in general fascinates me because of all the rapid innovation that goes into this this is you know a field that's really been emerging in the past 20 years and even just the past 10 years when it comes to reusable launch technology uh, just the amount of innovation there is really cool, and I'd like to be a part of that. Hey, listeners. I just wanted to remind you that you can see videos of our episodes on YouTube and other social media. So if you want to see a cool tool or part that was described in the interview, or you just want to gaze upon my beautiful face, you can go to the Today's Machining World YouTube channel. You can also link directly to the videos from the episode show notes. And now, back to the show. Tell me about the rocket. Give me the dimensions, help people visualize it, um, and then tell me about the project, etc. Right, so in the center of our booth is a, a big rocket. On, it's like propped up diagonally because it's too tall for the actual, just to, to be visible from the bottom. It's more impressive that way yeah. anyways. Uh, it is around seven inches in diameter. Uh, I think it might be eight. I'm not 100% sure. I think 6.5, yeah. Um, parts of it are a bit bit wider, uh, including the fins. But then it's around, I think, 28 feet tall. It weighs 90 pounds dry, and then 130 pounds when you have fuel in it. It uses liquid methane and liquid oxygen as propellants. So that's the same fuel technology that SpaceX uses. And it produces around 900 pounds of burn force for over 10 seconds continuous. Wow. And who constructed this? Uh, students, pretty much. We all designed. It's, it was a two-and-a-half-year project. And they're not all engineering students? or uh, Most of them are engineering students, but they're from everywhere. We have, we have some CS students. We have electrical engineering. We have computer engineering. We have, uh, I think we, we have business majors. We have, you know, mechanical and aerospace engineering. We will take anyone. But yeah. it's all designed and manufactured through students. This was around a two-and-a-half-year project. I was a bit late to the game because I'm just a sophomore. You know, there was a lot of the design work was done before, and even some of the manufacturing stuff. But I, I was there for making parts of the rocket. How does this work? Okay, so you got a bunch of people, some comp size, some various engineers, different grades. They come in, they say, I want to be a part of this. How do you divide, like, what they're doing? 
So the organization that actually built the rocket is PSP, Purdue Space Program. It's a student club. So you've got your leadership, treasurer, president. And the way PSP works is they have seven sub-teams, if I'm not mistaken, and they all focus on different rocket technologies. Some of them do high altitude, hybrids, solid systems, liquid systems. So this is the liquid team. And they do recruiting events. So uh, like companies do career fairs, student clubs do club fairs. They have call-outs, they offer free food. Are you the one of the younger people? Yeah. So yeah. There's, a, you know, there's a bunch of people that go up and say, hey, join Liquids, and they tell you to join, and you end up joining, and it's a fun time. So the other people are making a different, different kinds of rockets. Yeah. yeah. So there's a team that works. Uh, there's one team that's working on hybrid rockets. That's where you have a solid rocket motor with liquid, uh, I believe, oxygen that makes it burn better. There's a team that's working on building a two-stage rocket with the goal of reaching space. There's another team that works on developing satellites um, that will be launched into space to perform experiments. I think the recent experiment is 3D printing food in low gravity, uh, low gravity environments. Uh, there's a couple of there's one that's working on active controls, so actually guiding a smaller rocket and you know keeping its trajectory stable. And it goes on. What exactly is your role, Anirudh? So I'm operations manager at the center. What that means is um, there are tiers. There's student employees, peer mentors. When they run into a problem they can't solve, they go to supervising peer mentors, a few of those uh, undergraduates. And then if they run into problem, it goes to graduate peer mentors, graduate students, master's, PhD. And when those guys run into problems, that's when they come to me. So I have about five grad students I'm in charge of. So mostly my work is centered around uh, scheduling, making sure people are coming in and out. I also handle some specialized teams and one of my uh, bigger teams to handle is the software development team. So I direct them on what technologies we need to work on, how we're going to improve our workflow, come up with the algorithms that are gonna solve the problems or do demonstrations of systems that they're gonna formalize and deploy. So in a nutshell, the operations of the center is what I'm focused on, especially the student-facing side. You know, everybody's always talking about skills shortage and mm -hmm. skills gap, etc. Are you guys thinking about those trends? You have that in your back of your mind. Yes, I think we're actively thinking about that. And being at this trade show has made that abundantly clear that, you, you know, there is a shortage and we're you know, ultimately, we're here to fulfill that. You know, we go up to people at, at booths and we say we're from Purdue. We tell them that we're students and we tell them that we're interested in manufacturing, then also interested in teaching others manufacturing. And then they automatically love us because they know that, you know, we're there to fill their roles when people are retiring. Do you think that people are making a bigger deal out of it than it is? Or not enough people are talking about skills shortage, etc.? It's hard to say. I'm as someone who's involved in the community, I definitely hear a lot of it. Right. But I don't know how much I don't know how far it goes beyond the manufacturing industry. Everyone in the manufacturing industry is saying, you know, we need more people, but I don't know if that's being communicated very well outside of the community. I think it's getting better for sure with lots of the channels that you see on YouTube and they're doing a great job at pulling people in. That's you know, you can never have too much outreach. That's all right. Let's let's go down that road a little bit. Uh YouTube. 
Is that what you watch the most, YouTube? Uh, when it comes to longer videos, yeah, definitely YouTube. When it comes to longer videos, shorter, shorter videos, other kinds of, you know. There's a couple other platforms, but when it comes to anything above like two minutes, it's all it's YouTube. Okay, not like Netflix or any of that. Oh, Netflix is, exists, but when it comes to manufacturing, it's, it's right. Only- so, so will you go on YouTube all the time and? Just watch stuff about manufacturing. Oh, Does yeah, that... totally. Uh, I can name tens, hundreds of channels. You know, this old Tony Saunders, Titans of CNC, uh, A Bomb, uh, Ave, Ave. Yeah, there's so many. There's just so many. I can't even. Then there's also like the YouTubers that combine design with manufacturing. Uh, stuff made here is a great example. He is a form labs engineer, and he designs his things and he shows the process of making them. They also shows the end result. I, he, made, he made like an explosive baseball bat that launches you know, where you hit a home run every time and you know he shows the process though of manufacturing within it. Sounds like a good podcast. Definitely reach out to him. I'm sure he would love to talk. What happened with the rocket? So you built the rocket and then you went to the desert? So it was launched in the Mojave Desert in California. This was around May, um, or, or sorry, March actually. It was launched on a Saturday. It um, had a few issues with just the, like the valves not actuating fully, so it didn't get its full burn time. But it did land in one piece. So then, around 24 hours later, it was launched a second time with some fixes to address the issues. It's just like a SpaceX, just reused. Yeah, um, it was. You know, it's a record of some sort in terms of turnaround times. We're definitely the fast one of like the faster like, college turnaround times and. When it comes to uh, liquid methane rockets, I think there's few that even beat that, even when it comes to a commercial industry. Wow. And then now this same one is at the show. Are you guys going to repurpose that later? Uh, I'm sure it'll be repurposed somewhere. It's, you know, you're not going to throw that in a scrap bin for sure. It's too precious for that. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to live its legacy well past uh, it being launched. From what I've heard, a lot of the fittings are really expensive, the high-pressure stuff. And that's going to get reused, I think, for a couple of generations. Yeah. And the, the actual, like the rocket shell itself, you can't, you know, you can't repurpose that. So that's going to stay. It'll, you know, can be display pieces. It can show it to new engineering students to inspire them. You can show it to manufacturing people to inspire them and show what can be manufactured as well. Yeah. The fittings themselves, those are expensive. So those get reused. Awesome. Just a couple other questions. This is something I always ask people in the interviews. What is something that either you learned uh, last week or something that you recently read or that you found really interesting or had a profound effect on you? Xander? Um, you're reading lots of stuff because you're in college, so, I mean, it's easy for you. It's amazing how many people I ask this question to and they go, I don't know, I haven't really learned anything right now. So I'm actually uh, reading a book right now. I forgot the name of the book, so I hate to say that, but it's about the uh, history behind the space race and how, while it seems to your average person that it was just the way things were supposed to be, it was the eventual course of mankind, whatnot, whatnot, it actually took a lot of sheer luck, you know, ingenuity, both within design and manufacturing to figure out how to actually put people on the moon. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was something, that's something recent I'm exposed, been exposed, and it's nice to read that. I'm only like uh, 10 chapters in, uh, like a 30 chapter book so awesome yeah i i read uh there was a book about apollo 8 i think that was the one where i mean that was the one where we got to the moon not on the moon 
and that was incredible with Jim Lovell and all. You you familiar with all with that whole process? Oh, a bit familiar. It's been a bit, but I mean, in, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, right. Just in general, just being able to do that is mind blowing. And the fact that we're going back there again, it's really nice. And now it's hopefully going to be more than just a couple uh, astronauts or scientists. Eventually, I think it's inevitable that people, just citizens, will have be have exposure to the moon in one way or another, and further on Mars, so, so on and so on. Should we be, is the moon really because we want to go to Mars? Or, I mean, are we, are we aiming low by just going to the moon? No, it's still quite difficult, you know. I don't think you can just send a blimp there. No, but I mean, has that like been there, done that? And oh, we need for to sure. be going... Not. Uh, the moon programs were really expensive. They were very limited in who could go. Uh, there was a bunch of just... I mean, thank goodness there weren't many accidents, but there were still, like Apollo 13, there were still things that went wrong, and there's lots of work that can be done in terms of the cost, reliability, and just sheer scale. We sent, you know, no more than 10 missions there. And it is so incredible that, you know, with a computer that was, like, less sophisticated than, like, a calculator or something. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what about you, Ani Road? What have you learned uh, recently? Uh, nothing that profound, but in IMTS, uh, I was yeah. walk, walking by Kyos. It was SGS. SGS is booth, and I'm like, okay, what's cool? What is SGS? It's a carbide uh, tool manufacturer. Oh, okay. So SGS tools, I just walk up and I'm like, okay, what's cool? And uh, the gentleman uh, pointed me towards a tool, and that looks like a tapered ball mill to me. Not, not particularly interesting. And he said, no, it's not a straight taper. It's another curved. Uh, it's a curved taper. So you actually have two radiuses to work with. I'm like, that is interesting. So you can do fine work with the tip. And with the side, you can actually do profiling because it is curved. And you can do profiling on large surfaces quickly. So you can use the same tool in two different configurations. And it was like $180 or something, which is not that much. And I was like, okay, this is definitely something to go back, get one in the shop and try out. It's so funny how something so little can be so yeah. interesting. Yeah, so that really caught my attention. I'm definitely gonna give it a shot. It's a little less profound, but to me it was very important. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you know, just to f finish it up, is. Is there anything else you guys would uh, like to say to the people of the world? Um, this is your chance. Yeah, I, I would say... People listen from everywhere, seriously. And I, I don't know if this opinion is shared by people, but I feel like when you were talking about the skill shortage question, uh, that's not a main driver for why I do what I do. I do it because I like making things. But having done this for like about eight years now uh, of being in maker spaces in and out, I do go to other shops to see how they're doing so I can learn one thing that they're doing really well and use that. But what I also see is there's this resistance to change. And I feel like that resistance you're is saying, what... You're saying the shops are resisting change. They still want to do it the way they've always done it. Yeah. I feel that resistance. Like there's always a knowledge when you meet someone who's had 30 years of experience. You want to absorb as much. But there's no point in your life where you should be like, I've, I've, I've learned everything. Yes. Or the worst is, we've always done it that way. Yeah. And I feel like 
that might be a much bigger like challenge for the community to overcome and go towards no there's always something to learn it could come from someone with 30 years of experience it could come from someone with 6 months of experience sometimes the 6 month experience guy comes in with some fresh ideas and he's not tarnished by being there so long it's more objective yeah and I I I've had an incident with Xander where uh I don't really remember what it was about but I blankly stated nope the way you're doing it is wrong I know this and then you okay, thought uh, and oh. I I remember this this was the first time I was ever at the center I uh insisted on probing my Z off the surface of the vice itself not my stock I think that was it um not 100% it's something to do with probing uh so why can't we just probe this way it seems easier um and i guess in my situation that was the best way to do it but you know it's there's also you can't apply one rule to everything either but i was very confident and didn't really give the idea a chance and zander worked up and showed me how the idea works i was like you know what i should take a little bit more minute to listen and try to actually think it through and try to like test it out try it out and i think that's what people need to do too is if you see something out there and it's expensive don't buy the entire tool set by a small tool and try it if you like a fixturing that's awesome that people are saying is awesome don't look at the price of kitting out your entire shop look at the price of just getting one playing with it okay and find solutions iteratively by trying new things zander this is your chance yeah so i'd, I'd like to add on to what anrud is saying um i would say as a you know general rule young people like me are really interested in innovation and anything that involves just doing things better. So, I think that might be one of the reasons why some of like the old like shops that aren't doing that innovation might be facing like, you know, labor shortages is because there's people are reluctant to change. So, once you bring that change in, people are attracted to that. Uh just within the maker space uh, within Bechtel, we're constantly making new changes to improve our process, to improve our work holding, to just make life easier for people, and that's what keeps me there. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate Have it. Have a good rest of the show. From today's machining world, this is Swarfcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the show on your favorite app and give us a 5-star rating and a review. And don't forget to tell your friends about it. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and todaysmachiningworld.com to join our mailing list, read episode summaries, and watch extended interview videos. I'm Noah Graff. My occasional co-host is Lloyd Graff. Our managing editor is Ridgely Dunn. Our audio engineer is Patricio Garcia. For information on advertising or to submit an idea for a future podcast, follow the contact information at todaysmachiningworld.com. Thank you.